Thank you for listening to the Lucy Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about us or to find other sermons and resources from us, visit our website at lucybaptist.com. to invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We, for some time during this uh, special season in our lives, have uh, been away from our regular series of messages from the book of 1 Corinthians, preaching some special messages and also, of course, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God as well as the inerrancy of God's Word. And we want to return to the book of 1 Corinthians, a series we had begun uh, just a short time ago. We entitled this series, A Gospel-Shaped Church. We believe that is the desire of God, of our Heavenly Father, for every one of His churches. And we desire to be that kind of church. And we believe that is largely the theme throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. As you remember, as we have had several messages already, we saw, of course, that This church in Corinth was a troubled church in the midst of a very wicked city. And sadly, at this time in the life of this church, uh, rather than the church impacting the, the world as they should have been, the world was beginning to impact them. And so we see some of the issues that were being dealt with by the Apostle Paul as he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of 1 Corinthians. And so this morning, we're going to pick back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and for our text this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. I hope you have your Bibles with you and open. I again want to remind you that uh, it's important for us to treat this time just as we would if we were gathered together, and that you uh, take the Word of God and read it carefully and ask the Lord to speak to you through it, take notes, and worship together there in your home individually or as a family, we trust you're doing that even now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll begin reading with verse 18, we'll read through verse 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles." But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And from this passage today, I'll bring a message entitled, United in Christ, the Power and Wisdom of God. Let's join our hearts together in prayer once again. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have during these days to come before you and come before the Word of God, 
to worship together in our homes. Lord, even though we're not able to be together during this time, we thank you that we can make the most of this time. We thank you that we have these tools available to us to make it possible to look into the Word of God together. So we pray for each of those today who are hearing your Word, who are participating with us in worship, though apart. We pray you will speak to every heart. We thank you for the power of the Word of God, that it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We trust that you will use it today in the hearts and lives of your people, that we might be drawn to, to recognize Christ, who is the power and wisdom of God. We thank you today for the cross. We thank you, Lord, each of us today as your believers, your children. Thank you that we've had the privilege of hearing the word of the cross, the gospel. We thank you for its power that through the work of your spirit has brought us to repentance and faith and now to a living relationship with Christ. Father, help us as believers today to, again, grow in our understanding and our depth and knowledge in the gospel of Christ. We also would pray today for those who are hearing who do not know Christ, that you would awaken them to this realization and to their need and bring them to that place of repentance and faith. Lord, today we thank you that we are united in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that we will grow in this unity as believers, even though we are not able to be together during this time. We thank you that our unity is still strong in Christ. We pray now your blessings upon the preaching of your word. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. We have recently remodeled the front of our building, and uh, now it displays a beautiful cross. Some of you have commented during this time of uh, the online services of, of how, how much you have appreciated being able to see the cross here over our baptistry and our worship center. We display the cross in various ways. Some people wear it as jewelry. Others display the cross in their homes. It's displayed in cemeteries. Uh, the cross symbolizes for us as believers what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us upon the cross for us as believers. But it helps us to remember today how offensive the cross was to people during the first century. Again, the death on a cross was considered the most uh, vile and cruel form of, of execution. Uh, perhaps the nearest thing that we can imagine in our day would but, but to think about the symbol of a, an electric chair or perhaps a, a gas chamber. If there was some way that this could be used as a symbol, uh, then, and just imagine someone using such a symbol as a form of decoration. We would think that very strange, would we not? Unless somehow that form of execution was used to help bring us life. Then we might understand a little bit about how it could be celebrated. Well, the first issue that Paul deals with uh, the pro a problem within the church at Corinth was the issue of division. We saw that certainly in our last message in verses 10 through 17. This division was largely brought about by, diff by different uh, loyalties due to different leaders who had been there in the church at, at Corinth. Paul uh, had indicated that the solution to this problem 
in verse 17 was found in the gospel. Let's look at that verse once again. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So in our text, we're, we're going to see that, that the wrong response to the cross separates us, while the right response to the cross and his gospel unites us. And so we're going to consider these truths in this reality as we consider four truths together that reveal this reality. Notice, notice first that God sets all people apart according to their response to the word of the cross. We see this in verse 18. We, let's read it once again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, taking back, uh, going back to verse 17, where he speaks of the gospel, he now refers to and calls the, the gospel the word of the cross. Hodges uh, calls this the doctrine of the cross. It is the message of Jesus' substitutionary death for sinners, which of course is God's only salvation for, from the eternal consequences of our sin. But in this verse, we see that everyone in the world is basically divided into two groups, people who are perishing and people who are being saved. He says that the way we know those who are perishing is that their response to the word of the Christ, to the word of the cross, is that they consider it folly. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word folly is the Greek word moriah, and it is the word from which we get the word moronic. And, and, and from it, uh, we also see this, the meaning of this word is foolish or stupid or nonsense. And that is how many lost people regard the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. That one man would go to a cross and, and die, and that as a result of that that cruel death on a Roman cross could provide forgiveness of our sin. That is considered foolishness to many in the world. Again, uh, we think about the fact that conversely, that those who are being saved, he says, it is the power of God. We saw that in Romans 1.16, where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel has the power to save to everyone who repents of sin and places his faith and trust in Christ. If you're listening today and you are without Jesus, the Bible says you are described as perishing. This is the same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. The word perish speaks, of course, of eternal destruction in hell. It's not just that you will perish, but the Bible says you hear that you are already perishing. Jesus said this in John 3.18, 3, just after that beautiful verse, John 3.16. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The other category seen here is, again, those who are being saved. As believers, of course, the Bible says we have been saved. That's the beginning of our salvation. We refer to that as our justification when we are declared righteous by God. And again, of course, the Bible uh, says in, uh, in, in John 3, 3, 18 again, that, we who, that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the beginning part. We have been saved. But also, the second part of our salvation is referred to as our sanctification, the part in which we are being saved. That process from uh, God is using to conform us to the image of Christ until we see him. The third part of our salvation we refer to is our glorification. And when our salvation is complete and we receive our glorified bodies. So every person today is in a sense separated by their response to the cross. Everyone alive, every person who's ever lived is in one of these two categories. You are in one of these two categories today, dear friend. Which describes you today? Are you perishing? Are you perishing? The Bible says again, if you have not responded in repentance and faith to the gospel message of the cross, you are perishing. Or are you being saved? Which describes you today? Second, I want you to see in verses 19 and 20, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. He begins in verse 19 there with a quote from Isaiah 29, 14. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This had an immediate fulfillment, of course, in Isaiah's day. And in the context of that passage at this time, uh, Isaiah wrote, uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, uh, had come to Jerusalem and had the city under siege, was threatening to conquer them. And all the human odds were against Israel. Human wisdom said, give up, you're outnumbered, or at least turn to your ally in, in Egypt. But God sent a word through the prophet Isaiah not to fear because the king Sennacherib's plan would fail. God sent, in in response to that, his angel who would destroy 185,000 in the Assyrian army. And Sennacherib's army did not fail because of Israel's great military power. No, it was God's victory alone. He alone received the glory it was God's victory and God's power and God's wisdom. Man's wisdom was defeated. And when it comes to salvation, man's wisdom will fail also. John Phillips said, It is not until we come to an end of ourselves, our own ideas, our own cleverness, our own efforts, and our own self-will, and see our own folly and futility that we can experience the mighty of power, the mighty power of God to save. Has that occurred in your life? Notice in verse 20, he continues quoting, and the first he poses four questions. The first question he asks is, Where is the one who is wise? 
This is based on Isaiah 19, 12. And again, the prophet was referring to the wise men of Egypt at the time. Again, they claimed to have all of the answers, and most of them were wrong. You know, if you notice how the world just continuously runs to the wise philosophers uh, of our day, and again, they, uh, they, the reality is, just as in this day, they can't help people with their greatest problem, which is sin. The second question is, where is the scribe? This is based on Isaiah 33, 18. And many believe the scribe here is referring to the scribe who would accompany the Assyrian army in their battle and would record the wealth that was taken from their enemy in battle. But in this case... He had nothing to record because, again, God had defeated them. And again, dear friend, the world really has nothing to offer when it comes to the greatest needs of our heart and our life. The next question is, where is the debater of this age? The word debater here was, a, was basically describing a Greek philosopher. So he's in essence asking, what have these philosophers done to relieve the problems that people struggle with? The answer, of course, is nothing. And then the final question is, has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And that sums up the, the answer to each of these philosophers, if you will, of the time. The answer to all of them is they try to come up to solutions which really are contrary to the message of the gospel of Christ. Things today are offered like self-esteem and education and, and therapy and perhaps medication. These are all things, among many others, that are offered by the world's philosophies to meet the need of man's heart, that only the gospel message and response to it through repentance and faith can bring about God's solution to your greatest need. This is not to say, of course, that, that God does not use a human wisdom for good. We are so grateful today for uh, the technologies that are made possible through human wisdom. We're enjoying them today during this time. We're grateful for uh, the, the advances of true medical science. And we, of course, are right in praying for the cure for cancer and Alzheimer's, and especially for COVID-19 and for, a, again, uh, God's work in this situation through human people. Human wisdom, however, is foolish in regard to man's greatest need. It cannot meet the greatest need of our life. It cannot solve our greatest problem, our sin problem. And again, we know that only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can bring that solution. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. But third, I want you to see in verses 21 to 23, God has chosen what the world considers folly to save those who believe. Again, beginning there in, in uh, verse 21, he says, For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He's saying here that God does not use human wisdom to save people. We don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death through our intellect. Maybe you can remember when you first 
heard the gospel. And maybe you remember your first uh, instinct was to want to try to figure it out on your own, try to make sense of it. And then you came to the place, if you're a child of God, to realize you, you couldn't get your mind around it. You came to realize it was not through your human wisdom. Left to ourselves, we would never be saved. Instead, God chose the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The folly of what we preach. This is the message of, that, we, that we herald, and it is considered folly or foolishness to the world. But it is what God has gladly chosen to, to use to save those who believe. Aren't you grateful today for the message of the gospel that has come to you? And isn't it hard still for us to understand that only that by faith we are, we are brought to faith in Christ. We're brought to the realization of a relationship with Christ. We go all the way back to the Old Testament when we're, we're told about Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 22, he sums up the, the wisdom of the world. He says that Jews demand signs. And God did give them signs throughout the Old Testament. And then again, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus gave signs which confirmed his deity, confirmed his Messiahship. But most of the religious leaders still rejected him. His greatest sign was uh, his death upon the cross for sin and sinners, which was validated through the sign of the resurrection. He then says the Greeks seek wisdom. The Greeks, of course, who were, again, great philosophers, they loved to debate, they loved to argue, and they loved to analyze everything intellectually. They were, in essence, saying to Paul, Paul, give us your best and your greatest intellectual argument. And Paul could have complied with that request. He was from that way of thinking as well. He was very intellectual. He was highly educated. He certainly could debate with them. But again, he knew that only the gospel had the power to bring people to faith in Christ. Instead, he said in verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Again, the verb tense here indicates that Christ remains the crucified one. When we see him in heaven one day, we will see him as he was seen upon the earth in those 40 days. We'll see the nail prints in his feet, in his hands. We'll be reminded of, of the fact that he is the crucified one on our behalf. And reminded again of the fact that Christ's substitutionary death upon the cross is essential to our salvation, to our redemption. The Jews thought this message was a stumbling block. The word here for uh, stumbling block is one Greek word, scandalon, from which we get the word scandalous. The idea of a crucified Messiah, though it was clearly taught in Scripture in the Old Testament, though Jesus clearly taught that he would be doing this work upon the cross, it was scandalous to them. It was repulsive to them. They tripped over it. They rejected it, and many do today as well. The Gentiles saw this message, again, the message of the cross, as folly. Again, the word absurd. Many, again, today still think the message of the cross is absurd. They either think that they don't need this saving. They don't need salvation from Christ. Or they think, perhaps, that, that something that happened so long ago thousands of years ago, could have an impact on, on them in their life today. 
Yet this is the message that people must hear and believe in order to be forgiven and redeemed. It is what we have heard who are believers and have responded to. It is what we continue to proclaim and share and herald to everyone this wonderful message of the gospel. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Praise God for the simple message of the gospel that we have had the joy of hearing. People are not saved by knowing the right facts, but by faith in the right person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not, follow, we're not saved by following Jesus' perfect example or life. In fact, his perfect life condemns us. Neither are we saved by obeying his wonderful teachings. We are not saved by, by membership in a church or by going through the waters of baptism. Even saying the words of a prayer is not what saves us. We are saved from eternal damnation when we look by faith to the work of the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? Have you turned to Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Again, God has chosen what is folly to the world to save those who believe. But fourth and finally, I want you to see that God's call unites us in Christ, the power and wisdom of God. In the final verses here in verse 24 and 25, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He gives the response here of, uh, of the called. He calls them the called. This is a term he's using here to refer to believers in verse 24. Again, uh, we previously, like everyone else outside of Christ, in one way or the other, we disregarded the cross. We disregarded the gospel. But at that point in time when we heard the gospel, understood it, repented of our sin and placed our faith and trust in Christ, everything changed. We responded to that call of God in our lives to respond to Christ and we became his called out ones. We now regard the gospel of Christ as the power of God the power of God. Why is it the power of God? Again, because it is what enables us to see ourselves as God sees us. It is what enables us, again, to respond to him in repentance and, and faith, to surrender to Christ. Again, it's, it's what changes everything. It, it changes, again, the fact that we are not, no longer enemies of God. Now we're in the family of God, friends of God. We now have eternal life, and instead of going to eternal hell and separation from him forever, we regard it also as the wisdom of God. Why? Because man could never have come up with such a glorious and amazing plan. Again, note in verse 25, man considers the message of the cross as foolish. In reality, it is God's wisdom. And dear friend, the Bible says your rejection of him is foolish. Man considers the message of the cross as weakness. To imagine once again that, that a, 
man who died so long ago upon a cruel Roman cross could affect me today. That's just weakness that God would submit himself to such a terrible thing of men when he had the power to do otherwise. Actually, the cross, the message of the cross is God's power because at the cross, God defeated sin. He defeated self and Satan and death and hell. He purchased our eternal redemption. And that is infinitely greater than anything man's wisdom or man's power can ever produce for us. One of the blessed benefits of what God has done in our lives in calling us to himself is that we are now united in Christ. Notice again that he says we are, uh, we are called to him, both Jews and Greeks. He's describing this as, as basically everyone, regardless of our distinction, we are now one in Christ. Think about this as Paul was dealing with these divisions among the body of Christ. We understand that when we are outside of Christ and consider the cross foolishness and folly that we might see how we are separated. But in Christ, we are made one. We are one in Christ. We are one around the gospel. Again, that is the work of what God does regardless of our differences. To be united in the gospel, we must first know and understand the gospel. We've just been blessed by participating in a conference called Together for the Gospel. The theme this year was entrusted with the gospel. And again, it is first of all that we must understand what the gospel is. And then we respond to the gospel, to this gospel call. We must be gospel-centered and gospel-saturated in our lives and in our church family. And then we as believers are committed to sharing the gospel with our unbelieving neighbors and friends and family members. And we support one another in that work and pray for one another. We're praying that during these days, we will make the most of this time, even though it's difficult with, with social distancing or physical distancing to be able to do so, but to make the most of this time to proclaim the gospel and to grow in our understanding and our love for the gospel. As we conclude this message today, I want to ask you, do you consider the message of the cross foolishness? Or would you say that it is the power and wisdom of God? You know, a lot of people have been talking today, and I've heard people say that uh, there's a lot of talk on, and a lot of uh, chatter, if you will, on social media uh, about, uh, about God. A lot of people are quoting Scripture during this time. And we, we certainly hope that's an encouraging sign. We would like to believe that people are thinking about God. They're, they're thinking about uh, their need for Christ and a, their need for a relationship with Christ. And we, again, want to make the most of this opportunity. But on the other hand, it may be exposing an, a very dangerous peril. Jesus, quoting from Isaiah in Matthew 15, 8, said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It may be today that you are not one who is saying, Well, I, I think the, the cross is foolishness. Perhaps you say, Oh, no, I, I don't think the cross is, is foolish. 
or you don't think that it is, is unwise, maybe that would be your response to that. But is it possible that while you honor the message of the cross with your lips, your heart is far from God? I want to challenge you today to think deeply about the cross. Think deeply about your relationship with Christ and your need for him. You see, once again, the cross is a symbol of death. It certainly reminds us as believers of the, de- of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And it, it gives us great gratitude and humility when we think of what Christ has done for us. But for a believer, the Bible says the cross is also a symbol to remind us that we are to take up our cross, that we are to, if you will, die to ourself and be resurrected to follow Christ. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And dear friend, when the, when the Lord Jesus Christ enters our life through repentance and faith and we surrender our life to him as Lord, he radically changes our life. We become a new creation in Christ. Is that, has that happened in your life today? I pray today, if it has not, that God will speak to your heart, that you'll recognize your need for him, you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. If you are perishing, I pray today, you will hear the gospel, you will respond to it and turn and trust in Jesus, surrendering your life to him as Lord. And if today you are being saved, I pray that you will grow in your understanding, your love for for Christ and for what he accomplished for you there, and that the cross and the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will unite us as believers and members of his body here in our church as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ who serve and make Christ known where they are as well. If you found this message helpful, check us out at lucybaptist.com where you can find other resources or learn more about our church. We hope and pray that this message has helped you grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with Him.